Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us here on a Tuesday in the Music City. My name is Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. I am, as I say every night, blessed beyond measure. I hope you recognize that you are as well. If that stirred something in you, hit me up on Twitter. At jmartzone is always wide open with DMs. Would love to have that conversation with you, especially this week. It would be a great week to have that conversation. Every week, though. Great week to have that conversation. So we're going to talk about Rick Barnes and what honesty and integrity can mean. We're going to talk about Russell Wilson during this program as well. A little bit of NBA. But let's start with the Predators and Stars. Last night, Game 3, Preds get the job done. And honestly, I say Preds get the job done, but you could actually take a word that starts with P, is also five letters, and just replace the word Preds with that word, and it would be more effective and more accurate to what we really saw last night, and that was Pekka got the job done. This was the best version of Pekka Rene that we've seen in a while. He's been really good in this series, but this looked more like two years ago Pekka. This looked like 2017 Pekka. He stopped everything. 40 saves, and they needed every bit of it. Jim Montgomery, the head coach of the Dallas Stars, said after this one that he thinks that so far in this series, he has the better team. That the Dallas Stars are actually better than the Nashville Predators. And you know what? I would agree with him if you were just breaking this down. Like if you were doing this round by round like this was boxing or MMA or K1 or whatever. You would go period by period, and you would put up a scorecard. Now, I'm not going to go 10-9, 10-9, 10-8, anything like that. But if you were just going by period, what would you say? You would say the Predators won the first period in Game 1, the Stars won 2 and 3. You might give the Predators all three in Game 2, but it still took overtime to win that game. So it wasn't like one team was just far dominant over the other one in that game. And then last night, you would say that the Stars kind of won all three periods, or certainly were the aggressors. They're the ones that were taking the shots. Pekka's having to stand on his head this whole game. Ben Bishop is not facing all that much of a challenge. But here's the problem. If you want to talk about which team is the better team, I can't agree with Jim Montgomery simply because, to this point in the series, Pekka Rene has outplayed Ben Bishop. Goaltenders have to be factored into the equation. And in this case... Ben Bishop picked a really bad night to have a really bad night. He had not given up more than two goals since I think it was before Valentine's Day or right around Valentine's Day. And then last night, he got got in wire parlance. He got got, and two of those goals are goals that you just can't let go in in playoff scenarios. Now, I will say this. The Predators did a better job last night 
in those moments of having traffic in front of Ben Bishop and making it harder on him. But a guy that had the statistics that Bishop has had to this point, he's had a wonderful season. He had a better season than Pecorine by virtually every statistic, every analytic that you want to go to. But last night, Pekka, and I don't know if it's experience or if it's just this guy when he's on is a brick wall. But last night he made some absolutely outrageous saves because Dallas put the pressure on. And in five-on-five situations, the Predators got embarrassed last night. There's no other way to front this. There's no way to sugarcoat this. There was no cereal delicious enough in which to make this okay. At one point I saw Adam Vingen of The Athletic tweet out, I think it was 31-7 to shots in favor of Dallas. And the game was still going at this point, but it was near the end of the game. It was 31-7 to Dallas on 5-on-5. Five five. Nashville at one point had like four shots on goal through the first half of the third period after being out-energied, which is not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway, in the second period of this game. We saw some guys show up and play really well last night. For the past two games, Matthias Ekholm has been mediocre would be being generous in this case. He has done virtually nothing impressive. It's not that like every second he's been on the ice has been dreadful. He's just offered you really nothing of note. He has not seemingly been on his game. The Jofa line has been fine. The second line has been maligned, but Craig Smith, who came out pretty rough after game one he look there's no leader on this team right now that's one question mark that a lot of the guys that have left this jersey and gone on and put other jerseys on in the national hockey league were the guys that were more the vocal and emotional leaders on this team like the mike fishers for example guys that have you know moved on to other things in their lives or even like a shea weber or someone like that who are the guys that you look at on this team and say well that guy's the leader i don't know that there's a definitive answer there and so Craig Smith came out and said some pretty staunch things after game one that may have even you could have interpreted I didn't but you could have interpreted them as saying the coaching is letting us down as well but then what did Craig Smith do in game two he went out and backed it up he forced the issue he was the aggressor he's the one that scored the overtime goal but long before that he was earning his stripes basically on every shift he was on the ice but last night for the second game in a row, we saw why Rocco Grimaldi needs to be on the ice in this series because he's so fast and speed kills, especially against this Dallas defense. He was able to get behind him. He was able to, to really cause Ben Bishop a lot of trouble. He was also able to cause the goal a lot of trouble as it was knocked off the pegs twice in about three minutes in the third period. Some people saying that Ben Bishop was out there cheating. Some people joked that they were cheating. And then, of course, Twitter being Twitter, this guy's cheating. He embellished on the... Game two situation, this is what this guy does. I just think that, uh, for whatever reason, the second time it came out, it came out because, and I heard Chris Mason say this on the broadcast last night, once it comes out that first time, snow gets in there and it's just harder to deal with. So they eventually had to sort of take a minute or two to get that under control. But Grimaldi was very, very good last night. But this was all about Pekka. And if you come into the series, because so many things are unpredictable about hockey. And I've said this before, and some people try to find ways to either not understand what I'm saying or assert that I'm wrong. And guess what? You can do that all you want. You can tweet me at jmartzone, whatever you want. 
and tell me when I'm wrong, but ice as a surface is much less predictable than hardwood or grass or things of that nature. Now, weather can change it outdoors. Certainly a football field can become a little bit less predictable, but ice is just, it's harder. The passes sometimes aren't going to go where you think they're going to go. There are going to be mishandles. Guys are going to fall. There's just there are a number of factors that you don't necessarily have to look at in other sports that when you see it in hockey, that's why these games are always so tight, it seems like, especially in the postseason, because you don't necessarily know what's going to happen from one game to the next. And I've heard a couple of the Predators after Game 2 saying, look, I don't necessarily buy into the argument of momentum after one win carrying over to the next one. It can but these seem to be more like separate books as opposed to chapters in one. I suggested last week that it was kind of one book being written per series with different chapters. If you want to do it, this would be more like the American Horror Story seasons where season to season doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the ones that came previous. These are sort of different stories in the eyes of some of those guys. Or maybe that's just what they're trying to tell themselves so that they don't get too cocky about the fact that they won one game the carryover effect can sometimes make you feel entitled and lead you not to put forth all the effort that you could otherwise because you feel like you're rolling. It's different than, I think, in golf, for example. When you, when you can get on a roll, you can put up five or six birdies in a row. If you're a pro, I'm not saying you at your local muni are going to go out there with your clubs and, and knock them all over the place and get six birdies in a row, but even you can get on a tear. Look, you can go to the bowling alley. Let's go to something that we are more familiar with. You can go to a bowling alley and you can throw three strikes in a row. You can get yourself a turkey. You can get hot. All of a sudden, ball's rolling out of your hand exactly where you want it to. You've kind of found a space. You've kind of found a tilt to your hand. There are sports where you can get on a roll. Hockey and game, you know, game two to game three or seven game series, sometimes maybe not as much. I mean, we were seeing what in the NBA playoffs? Kind of the same thing. I mean, the Warriors lost last night. Maybe we'll discuss that in the final segment because of what an incredible comeback it was. It's not going to mean anything other than that one game, but that was a great sporting event to watch. But this was about the goaltenders. Ben Bishop was better during the regular season than Pecorine. Some people were calling for UC Soros. And Soros is really good, and he could start for a lot of teams in this league. But you paid Pekka, and Pekka is here. And Pekka in the playoffs has been very feast or famine. He's been really good, or at times, he's been awful. We saw that last year in key games, especially against the Winnipeg Jets. This series, he's been great. And he was superb last night. This was as good a performance as I have seen from 35 in net in two seasons. This was postseason Pekka. This was, I mean, the stars were all over. I mean, they had shots on goal. They had great looks all night long. They possessed the puck like mad in those second and third periods. And really, the crowd was super for Dallas last night. That's a crowd that wanted playoff hockey again and hadn't gotten in in a couple of seasons. And they were up, and they were good, and they're going to be good throughout the series. And we kind of saw them in a different way because of the camera angle. Where the hard cam had to be placed in that building is so low. The angle is totally different. But it feels like you're right up on the action. In some ways, it's bad because you can't see the near boards as effectively. But for some reason, I really like the way that it translated on TV. But Dallas had everything going for them. They had the momentum. They had the crowd. They scored. Everything seemed to be rolling right along as they sort of were the aggressors. But Pecorine just was not having it. Was not having it. I mean, Jamie Benn had it. It looked like it was definitely going to be a goal. And somehow, Pecorine made the kind of save that immediately gets truncated down 
via an ESPN highlight, and you end up seeing it later that night on SportsCenter. A top 10 highlight. This was just an absurd deal. P.K. Subban was on 3HL a little bit earlier on, and what he said last night after the game, he said, how did he do that? Just like he said that sometimes you just roll your eyes every once in a while watching what Pecorine does because it's so absurd. And this is exactly what this was. He faced 19 high-danger shots in all situations. But when he moved to his left and stunned Jamie Benn, when it looked like there was no doubt this thing was going to be a goal, that was the moment. And speaking of stunning, I mean, has Granlin done anything since he became a Predator? And then last night, I don't know how that goal got through. That's one where Ben Bishop just probably has to say, you know what, I didn't have it tonight. Remember last night when I was talking about Tiger Woods and was referring to, you know, you go through a lot of things as a kid and you hope that you have a parent that's responsible enough and honest enough with you to tell you, look, this ain't your thing, bud. Baseball's just not your thing. You can't hit I mean, we'll keep practicing on it, but let's keep looking and looking for some other things as well. Well, that's kind of what Ben Bishop had to be thinking last night. He's a really good goaltender. I anticipate he's going to play great in Game 4. It's going to be a really tough game for the Predators to win. 2-2 coming back, that feels much more likely. But we'll see. But Ben Bishop just had to say, you know what? Not my thing tonight. Because this was a bad night for him to have a bad night and in a series, on a, in a sport played on a surface like ice, goaltending becomes so important in the playoffs. And right now, the difference in this series is that the Nashville Predators have Pecorine in their net, and Dallas had been Bishop last night, and we'll see whether or not he's able to bounce back. He doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, especially compared to Pecorine, so he needs a bounce-back game. I expect he probably will have one. If the Predators are able to win again tomorrow night, they're going to be in really good shape. I'd picked them in six. They're still on pace to do that. This thing could easily go seven as well. It's been razor thin. But as I told you, if you're going boxing down the line or MMA and you're going period to period, I think it would go 5-4. But then you include the goaltenders and it changes significantly because Rene has outplayed Ben Bishop more often than not in this series. We'll see how Game 4 plays out. When we come back on the other side, Rick Barnes, honest to a degree that might have upset some Tennessee fans, but it shouldn't. You've got a guy with integrity, a guy that was willing to say something that I'm not sure very many coaches in any classification would have had the guts to say publicly, and Rick Barnes did it. We will discuss that next as the Big Six rolls along on a Tuesday here on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back. Hope you're having a good Tuesday. This is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone, brought to you by Renner's Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through, well, it's rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renner's Warehouse, the rent estate company. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can find me there. Talked about the Preds in the first segment. Want to stay in the state of Tennessee. Let's talk about Rick Barnes for a second. We can also talk maybe a little bit about Grant Williams. Grant Williams is saying, look, I'm going to test the waters. I'm going to preliminarily put my name out there for the NBA draft, but I'm not going to rule out coming back. So he's going to stay within the confines that could let him come back to Tennessee for his senior season. And that comes down to one situation. Basically, he's going to find out, all right, where am I likely to be drafted? And then he's going to hopefully get the right advice about if I go back to school, how much higher can I be drafted next year? How does the class stack up? Where might I go? If you can move up 10 spots, 
then you probably come back to school. But if you're going to still be in the 20s, which is probably where Grant Williams is going to find himself, maybe you leave. Because if you're not going to benefit yourself in the future by coming back to Tennessee, I don't know that you do, especially with what that team's losing. Even though they've got talent and they've got good young recruits as well, and Barnes has that program in the right direction, this was the year they needed to cash in. And they only made it to the Sweet 16. So I still think if Grant Williams goes out there and finds out, all right, well, I'll be 25 this year, maybe I get myself up to 21 next year. I don't know that that's a big enough reason to come back. But I'm sure he'll make the right decision. And Rick Barnes will help him make it. And I think you can trust Rick Barnes. And that's what I want to talk about here is trust and integrity. There is nothing more valuable to you, to me, to anybody than integrity. Than people buying you, believing what you say because you do what you say. Because you have earned equity with them by not doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, or when you are wrong, fessing up to that and saying, you know what, I got that one wrong, but I'm going to do better in the future. Please forgive me, I apologize. We're a forgiving nation. If you have any doubts of that, Sunday should have erased them. Now, there's an intriguing question we can ask about Tiger Woods, which is, do you view him better as a person as a result of this? And the answer probably should be no. I know that you're hearing stories about him being humble, but we still don't know. He had a lot of problems. He made a lot of mistakes. As this was athletic redemption, I don't know that it was personal redemption yet because we just don't know the guy. But Rick Barnes decided he's going to stay at Tennessee instead of going to UCLA. And we there were a lot of reports that said he was definitely going to UCLA. Well, those reports were not erroneous. Because according to numerous sources, and then out of Barnes' own mouth, had UCLA decided to pay a $5 million buyout that Tennessee had written into Barnes' contract, Rick Barnes would be the coach of the UCLA Bruins right now. This is what he said. You've probably heard the audio, but I'm just going to quote it for you. To be honest with you, when you get down to a situation like that, it has to make sense from a financial standpoint. We just couldn't really work it out with the buyout. But he said, point blank, that if they paid that buyout, he was going to go. And so I'm sure that there are people, there are fans out there that think, oh, well, he doesn't really want to be here. That's not really the case. But I did tell you that Tennessee and UCLA are not equal in job. I understand that UCLA has fallen on tough times and they haven't won a championship since 95. Well, Tennessee's never won one. UCLA went to three Final Fours in a row not that long ago. They're able to recruit out there like crazy. Basketball matters in the city of Los Angeles and largely in the state of California more than any other sport. And the legacy of UCLA still counts. Now, it doesn't count necessarily for the 18-year-olds that you have to go and try to woo to go to UCLA, but it does matter to a 65-year-old basketball coach who probably grew up idolizing John Wooden and watching what UCLA was at its apex, and watching guys like Walton tearing up the court for the Bruins. That's the thing. The legacy, the pageantry, the tradition of UCLA is something Tennessee can't even approach. And you can talk about guys that have come through the Vols program down in Knoxville, you know, even decades ago, that were certainly great. And I'm not trying to put them down. I'm saying that there's no comparison traditionally. And so Rick Barnes... Of course. He thought he was probably going to UCLA, and then they didn't buy buy him out. And he actually came out and said 
that was the truth. He said, I think I would have been the coach at UCLA. I really felt at that time that that's what would have happened. In my mind, that's what I was thinking. That's a quote from Rick Barnes. And then he said he spent a whole lot of time in prayer. And we know Rick Barnes is a believer and a, and a hardcore Christian. And he asked God for total clarity. And I can relate to that because if there's one prayer that I have had more than any over the past two or three years, both personally and professionally, it's for clarity in certain situations in my life. For me to understand what was going on a little bit more. And what I would continually learn is what I would hear back would not be direct answers. It would just be trust in me, trust in me, trust in me. Be still and know that I am God. And after a while, you just take your hands off the wheel and say, okay, I I do trust you. Whatever it is that you have for me is better than what I think I want or what I feel is right for me. And sometimes you ask for signs. I asked for signs in my job a couple of years ago, and I got a sign that I thought was one thing, but it turned out to be the opposite. But when UCLA decided, hey, we're not going to be able to pay this $5 million buyout, Rick Barnes said he viewed that as the sign from God that said, look, you are not supposed to go there. And it wasn't necessarily about the money in terms of money he was going to make. It was more about commitment, I think. And I think that's going to relate to what I want to talk about in the next segment regarding Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson wants to be the highest paid player in the NFL, and now he is. But when you look at guys like Rick Barnes or Russell Wilson, and you can look at them and say, well, how much money do they need? Well, just think about it from your own perspective and the money that you are making. And if you think that you're worth more, or even if you don't, but you just want to be valued, you want to know that your work, if you feel like you're paid enough, you just want to feel like your work is appreciated. And so I think that one of the underlying factors for Rick Barnes, even though he didn't say this directly, is that this was basically UCLA not investing fully in Rick Barnes while Tennessee is still there. And they had put this buy out there to try and keep him there. And so he says, I felt that God made it crystal clear that I needed to be at the University of Tennessee. I'm here because I believe God wants me here. I believe that with all my heart. I can't even describe to you the level of transparency that Rick Barnes showed right here. Now we saw, you know, we've seen some great stories about Rick Barnes and what a great guy he was, you know, Penny Hardaway notwithstanding. So this shouldn't come as a as a huge surprise, but it's still a little bit of a surprise that he would say it publicly because he didn't really have to say this. He could have easily done what so many coaches do and just blow this off and talk about how he just wants to coach this team and he loves Tennessee and those reports were just reports and negotiations get crazy and I you know Tennessee was always where I want to be and I bleed orange and this and that and that and that and that. I mean this guy coached at Providence, he coached at Clemson, he coached at Texas, now he's in Knoxville. So he's moved around before. Instead of just shoving this question under a rug, he answered it directly and he answered it honestly. And yes, Probably a little bit painfully for some Vols fans that want to believe that everybody that gets there sees where they are as a destination job. You always want to believe that your place, your school, whatever it is, is a destination job. Almost never does it turn out to be that way. Unless you're at Duke or unless you're at North Carolina. There are a few places that are destination jobs, but most places are stepping stones. I graduated from one. I love Western Kentucky. I knew Bobby Petrino wasn't staying. I was hoping Jeff Brom would stick around, and he did for a couple of years. And then finally he went to Purdue. And he's going to stay at Purdue, it looks like. He just took a gigantic contract with a big buyout, and they gave him a huge extension. 
And he's a guy that's wired differently. Not made by money, but if you remember the stories that came out about Tennessee and other places that have tried to woo Jeff Brom, it's similar to Rick Barnes in that I know this story about Jeff Brom because I heard it from inside the athletic department up in Bowling Green while he was still the coach. That he still was driving the same car he drove that he bought when he was drafted into the NFL so many years before. That this is not a guy who's out there lavishly spending. He still has the money from his NFL career, from his first contract, still. Like plenty of that money left over. But he wants to be seen, he wants to feel like he is respected. And when you go to integrity, you want people to trust you, and you also want them to respect you, and you want to be paid what you're worth just because of, it's not really a pride thing, it's just an investment thing. Do these people believe me? That's your integrity. Do they believe in me as well? And so Rick Barnes, I think, believed that Tennessee was the place he needed to be and that UCLA didn't believe in him enough to go ahead and pony up that $5 million to get him out of Knoxville. And so that one thing was enough for him to feel like he had gotten the answer to his prayers and he needed to stay in Knoxville. I know Tennessee fans are not going to like that he said that he was going to be the UCLA coach. So now any job that goes after Rick Barnes, they're just going to say, well, if they pay his buyout, he'll leave. One, UCLA was an isolated case because of their tradition and because of his age and him knowing what it means to be at UCLA and what that job is when UCLA is rolling. I said it would have been a mistake just because I don't think he would have succeeded out there because it would have been the first real basketball school on that level he'd ever coached, with all due respect to Providence. He had coached at football schools, at Tennessee, at Clemson, at Texas, where football reigns supreme even when they're not winning. UCLA is all basketball all the time, with all due respect to Chip Kelly and Josh Rosen and anybody else that's been out there, Carl Durrell, whatever. This I don't think it would have worked because I don't think he's a high-pressure coach. I think he's a really good basketball coach, but he's a guy that doesn't usually get that far in March, and that's all UCLA is going to care about. It's Pac-12 championships and NCAA Final Fours. Rick Barnes is not a Final Four coach. He's made it one time. The school that he's coaching at right now has never won a championship, has never made a Final Four in their history. So it's an easier place for him to coach. I just think that it's refreshing that he was willing to say this, knowing that it was probably going to upset some people and make them feel like he doesn't love them. Like Will Smith with the the deal with his father. Why don't he love me, man? Or why don't he want me, man? I think Rick Barnes does want you. Rick Barnes was conflicted because UCLA was a real tough spot to get there. I don't think that the fan base needs to change and now all of a sudden assume every time the coaching carousel comes around he's going to be out of there. I also think for UCLA... They might have dodged a bullet. That's a lot of money to pay for somebody that I don't think is a top 10 coach. I'm not sure he's a top 20 coach either because, again, it all comes down to March, and that's where he usually seems to find a way for an exit that's earlier than expected. UCLA would have had to pay top 10 money to get him, especially with that buyout. Not sure he's worth that. I know I just said a lot of nice things about Rick Barnes, but I also have to worry about my own integrity and my own opinions, and my own opinion is Rick Barnes is all right. He's pretty good. He's good in Knoxville. He's good in the SEC. I don't know that he would have been great in UCLA. Maybe he would have been better than Mick Cronin. We'll see. We'll be right back. I want to talk about Russell Wilson. Also, another integrity thing. And the Seahawks getting this one right. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back to the Big 6 here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. 
Well, it's next week. NFL Draft right here in the Music City for the first time ever, Thursday through Saturday. Downtown's going to be hopping, folks. Broadway, Nissan Stadium, even the Skirmerhorn getting into it. Our coverage, and we want to thank our sponsor, Sprint, Ford, the Tennessee Highway Safety Office, and Ferguson Kitchen, Bath, and Lighting Gallery with many locations across Tennessee. Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, they are your destination for appliances, including the efficient Whirlpool-connected steam wall oven. This thing's going to be wild, folks. Tim McGraw is going to be doing an outdoor concert for free. Dirks Bentley is going to be headlining on Saturday. That's going to be at the NFL Draft Stage down on Broadway. National Anthem on Thursday going to be sung by C.C. Winans. The draft experience is free three days. Free admission around Nissan Stadium. It's going to be fun. And you know what? I'm saying it's going to be fun because I know it's going to be fun, but I don't know how much fun it's going to be. I don't know all the stuff that's going to go on. We don't know how this is going to look until we actually see it, but we're all so excited about it. And Titans Radio will have specials every day next week right in this time slot. So you won't be hearing from me except Sunday morning on Fox Sports Radio if you are up from 2 to 5 or if you podcast the show, which you can do as well. Also, an episode of the Pop 6 on The Office coming later this week. One guy that is not in the draft, but was drafted later than he should have when you go back and look at how effective he's been is Russell Wilson. I talked about Russell Wilson a couple of weeks ago, and I said, this guy is going to, look, this is a Teddy KGB situation. Paid that man his money. And that's exactly what we have seen. Because he had put out the deadline, said, look, I'm not signing after the 15th. And so about 45 minutes after midnight, he puts out a video in bed with Sierra, his wife, where he says, look, the deal is done. And various sources, four-year, $140 million extension includes a $65 million signing bonus. He is now the highest-paid player in the NFL per Adam Schefter. He's 30 years old. He's tied to the Seahawks now through 2023. This puts him above Aaron Rodgers and that contract, which was the richest ever. The new annual average is going to be $35 million per season. The signing bonus sets a record. So Rodgers, who was first in both of those categories, this per ESPN, now no longer Russell Wilson is. And Russell Wilson didn't want to leave Seattle. Russell Wilson wanted to be taken care of. He wanted a contract that was going to keep him near the top of the number, even through this market. And he had signed a really good contract a few years ago, but it didn't last because as soon as other guys came through, they all started making more. And so he's put in a spot now where this one should have a little bit more legs, and he's not going to end up as the 12th highest paid quarterback, which is what he was before this thing got done. And like I said, a Teddy KGB situation in that this is not a guy that you want to play around with. You don't want to go franchise tag this guy next year and then franchise tag him again and then just set yourself up for him to leave because he doesn't feel respected. I talked about Rick Barnes. UCLA, there wasn't an investment enough for them to pay that buyout, so Rick Barnes stays home. Here, Russell Wilson just wants to feel important. He knows he's important to Seattle, and this is intriguing because... Seahawks don't throw the football very much. And it's not because they don't trust Russell Wilson. It's because their scheme had them running the ball to an extent that it actually probably killed their season against Dallas in the playoffs. But this is a guy that, I'll just read the stats here. 35 touchdown passes, 110.9 passer rating, 7 interceptions, super efficient. He only threw 427 passes. That's the fewest since 2013. It was a run-heavy offense. They had three guys. If you had any of them on your fantasy team, you probably got double-digit points more often than not. They got a lot of carries, whether it was Penny or whether it was Carson. Whoever it was that was out there was effective. And Russell Wilson wasn't asked to do very much. 
This isn't like a Drew Brees offense, even though you've got a lot of running the ball there too. It wasn't Pat Mahomes. It wasn't throwing 50 times a game. It wasn't Aaron Rodgers. What do Seahawks do? If you want to know how important a quarterback is, especially when he's a presence and a leader and a winner the way Russell Wilson is, it is that they just made this guy the highest paid player in the NFL despite the fact that they don't generally ask the quarterback to do very much. They don't throw the ball. But they still paid him because they knew they couldn't lose him. That's how good he is. I saw yesterday NFL Live on ESPN, they were doing this deal where they had two charts. One was guys that had been drafted that were clear booms, and then there were jury is out and then a couple of busts. I can tell you where Marcus Mariota was, but you can probably already figure it out. He's in the we don't know yet. Still waiting. Jury is still out, along with Jameis Winston. And he was also in a list with like Josh Allen and guys like that, where you just don't know enough yet. Mariota's been in the league so long, you kind of wish you had known by now. And I continue to say that because you don't know, you probably do know. But I'd like to be wrong. Not rooting against Marcus Mariota. Some people hate when I say negative things about him. All I can do is watch what I've watched, see the games that he's missed, see the accuracy issues at times, and say, look, I think that guy can be good, but can and will are two very different words. They mean different things. And the difference is gigantic. And it's kind of what I talked about yesterday when I was referring to Tiger Woods and the people that said, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Make sure that can is the word that makes sense there. Don't replace it with will. You are not ordained to accomplish something just because you want it bad enough or because you work hard at it. In this case, Russell Wilson wins football games. And a lot of times he's asked to go win them after they have given him a game plan that hasn't put him in a position to succeed. And so Russell Wilson deserved to be paid, and we knew he was going to get paid, and the Seahawks were not going to get this thing wrong because he would have left just because he felt disrespected, and he wanted to stay. That's very obvious. He said he wasn't going to negotiate again until after the season, but it was weird to me that the Seahawks even waited this long. I mean, they waited right up to the end of this deadline and then made this thing happen because this video came you know, late last night. A lot of you were already asleep before it ever even happened. And Wilson was already making decent money, but Wilson deserved to make the money that he's making now because you don't find winners like this, and you don't, in my opinion, find class athletes like this. Yeah, he wanted a lot of money. He wanted a crazy great contract, but he had earned it, and he had been a class member of this organization for a long time, and they had already bet on him over that defense and let some of those guys go, the Richard Germans and the Michael Bennett's. And they had seen Cam Chancellor retire and you know Earl Thomas is gone. There are a lot of guys that are gone. Russell Wilson's still there. Now they need to go get him some receivers. With no disrespect at all to Doug Baldwin, who was very good. But they need to go get him some real weapons and maybe try to tailor the offense a little bit more around him because he throws the best deep ball in the NFL and they're still running the ball far more than they're throwing it. Now that you have paid this guy and made him the highest paid player in the league, $65 million signing bonus making history. Four-year, $140 million extension, making history. Four years added to your contract, and he's 30 years old right now. You look at all of those things, maybe start using this guy. Now that you've paid him, the expectation should be that he should throw. He, he should be throwing the football a lot more than he is. Now, they won a lot of games running the ball last year, but I still think that that ball needs to be in Russell Wilson's hands. And had it been in his hands in early downs against the Dallas Cowboys in Big D... 
Seahawks might have beaten them. I picked them to win that game, as a matter of fact. I did not know that they were going to handcuff Russell Wilson the way that they did. But good on the Seahawks for getting this right. You look at Rick Barnes, UCLA didn't get it right. They didn't want to pay that buyout. You know what? I think they did get it right because I don't think it was worth paying that buyout to get Rick Barnes there. But Rick Barnes felt that that was a sign that he needed to stay at Tennessee and that that's where God wanted him. So he made that decision. Russell Wilson, all he wanted to do was be taken care of and he wanted to be paid his value. He knew his worth and he knew what the Seahawks' value in him was. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, the worst and least advantageous position for one side to be on is when the person you're negotiating with knows their worth and also recognizes that you know their worth because they're not going to be lowballed. And that goes in any industry at all. So Russell Wilson got his money. More power to him. He has earned that, and I can't wait to watch him for the next, you know, whatever long. He may retire in Seattle. I hope he does. Very few athletes get that opportunity. Russell Wilson is the Seattle Seahawks, along with Pete Carroll. And I would say Wilson will outlast Carroll there. We'll be right back to finish up the show. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. segment of the program tonight. Glad to have you with us here on the Big Six, here on 104.5 The Zone. We're brought to you by Renner's Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renner's Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. I talked a lot about Tiger Woods last night. I kind of want to talk about him here again, because I heard a question posed yesterday that I had not really thought about. I think maybe... It was always sort of in there, and I think it's probably inside you as well. But it's a question as to whether or not this was a redemption story for Tiger Woods that we saw Sunday at Augusta. And it was an athletic redemption story, right? But that's it. Don't let that conflate with an overall redemption story. I heard Mina Kimes say this, and I think she put it better than I could have. She said, a personal redemption story from something that happened off the course. The redemption's going to have to happen off the course. Just because he went and won his 15th major and won his 5th green jacket doesn't mean all of a sudden he's a wonderful human being. Doesn't mean that everything about him has been fixed. Because he was always great at golf, right? So, while he was great at golf, he was cheating on Ewan Nordegren. And he was with porn stars. And he was with Perkins waitresses in the parking lot. And he was doing all sorts of things that he shouldn't have been doing. And he wasn't particularly good to fans. And, you know, there were all sorts of stories like that. I always thought he was more affable than Phil Mickelson, who it felt like Phil was always fake. I think Phil has actually become more genuine through the years. I like Phil better now than I used to, but I've always been a Tiger guy. I said yesterday, my favorite sports personality ever. But Tiger Woods isn't all of a sudden a wonderful human being because he won a green jacket. He's a wonderful golfer. He's a great golfer, maybe the greatest of all time, if not one of. And I think that you can start to, what's the argument of the greatest, most transcendent sports stars of the past 50 years? I think he's now one of the top three or four. You put Jordan on that list, I think you probably put Muhammad Ali on that list. And you could come up with other names, you could talk about your Brady's or whatever, but I don't think anything has transcended a sport the way Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali have. 
Tom Brady has won a lot of stuff, but has Tom Brady transcended football? I would suggest to you, no. Shaq, you might be able to put out there. But I think Tiger Woods, because no one pays attention to golf, or the people that don't pay attention to golf, still pay attention to Tiger Woods and know what he's doing. But I do think it is a fair question to ask. Or a fair question to ask yourself. Did you all of a sudden feel like Tiger Woods became perfect again because he won a golf tournament? Because I might have for a split second, but not for very long. I am hoping that Tiger Woods has changed and that the stories of him being far more humble over the past few years as he has dealt with adversity are true and that now that he starts winning again that we're not going to see that problem remember ryan clark said about antonio brown ryan clark the former cornerback or for the steelers who's now an espn analyst said after antonio brown left he said he had told steelers management yeah watch it paying that guy money because he's going to become a monster afterwards because he had seen antonio brown and he knew what Antonio Brown might become, where he, he felt like he had a good read on it, and he turned out to be right. So Tiger, when he was on top, was kind of difficult to deal with and off-putting to a lot of folks. Not to me, but to a lot of folks. And then, of course, he started doing things, and then it was impossible to deny that his personal life was in shambles and he needed some help. He needed some kind of balance. He needed some kind of grounding. So now he wins a green jacket. He's come all the way back, and now everybody's fawning all over him, and we all united over his win but what is that going to do to him? Because basically you just gave him money again, right? I hope that all of this has kind of come together for him in his personal life and in his professional life. But all we know is he's back on the course, but we don't really know about his life off it. So I do think it is important to separate the two. When you're talking about a redemption story, this was an athletic-based sports redemption story. It was not a life redemption story. He certainly overcame a lot, but we don't know for sure whether or not off the golf course his life is also a redemption story similar to what we saw on 18 on Sunday. My fingers are crossed that they are, and I'm not suggesting that they're not. I'm suggesting that that's not something I had fully taken into consideration until I heard Mina Kimes posit it yesterday on ESPN and I thought that it was worthy of mention here in this moment. If there's a pro and con, I'm not going to do a pro and con today, but one thing, look, the Sixers won big last night. They had a 51-point quarter. But I want to talk about Ben Simmons on Saturday night going after the fans in Philadelphia for booing them when they were playing badly and lost to the Brooklyn Nets. And I said I would not put a cent on them betting for them to go very far into the playoffs because they're... They're totally off track. And Joel Embiid made the comment that, look, when the fans are booing you, that can really affect the way you play. That's kind of the way this goes. You are getting paid millions of dollars. I have talked about, over the past two weeks, pretty effectively and exclusively, how dealing with failure and owning your mediocrity or your mistakes is how to overcome them and get better. Not excusing them away. And that Virginia's example proved that so well in many respects well the Sixers are doing the opposite you're blaming the fans because you lost by nine to the Nets you're saying stay on that side if you want to boo like you're not a real fan if you boo us when we're playing badly Jimmy Butler who was made from a different cloth it appears than some of these younger guys said look he understood why they were booing because all they wanted to do was win they they wanted to see their team win and when that was not happening they were registering their displeasure because they know the level of talent on that team 
Ben Simmons has this real problem with his game where he can't shoot like at all. Like if he doesn't get to the rim, he's almost useless except as a passer. So the pieces in Philadelphia are certainly not ideal around one another because Ben Simmons appears like this is what he's going to be. A guy that cannot shoot, that is not going to develop a jump shot. I'm not saying Philadelphia won't beat Brooklyn. I am saying they're not getting out of the East. And you can go ahead and mark this down. I could turn out to be wrong. All I can do is predict and, and look at things and analyze them. But I'm saying their mentality is all wrong because they are looking at reasons already why they're losing that don't have anything to do with how they're playing on the basketball court. Until your pride can allow you to admit your own fallacies in these situations, that right there is going to get you beat over and over again. So for the Sixers, if I'm a gambling man, and I'm not, but if I was, I would not put a cent down on the Philadelphia 76ers after seeing that act on in Game 1. This has nothing to do with Amir Johnson and a cell phone. That's whatever. I, I don't even care. What I care about is let's not blame the fans when we're playing poorly because they're booing us. They bought a ticket, and they bought a ticket because they like us and they think we're talented, and we went out there and didn't show it and got beat by an inferior basketball team. That's a problem, but that's a you problem, Ben Simmons. That's not a them problem. We'll see you tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. God bless, and good night.